Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in Hokies fans to this edition of the Tech Sideline podcast. We record on Wednesday, November 24th as we get ready for the Commonwealth clash between Virginia and Virginia Tech on Saturday. On this episode, we'll dive into some of the matchups, expectations, and see who has the advantage in the 103rd meeting between the two. All of that and much more coming up on episode 211 of the Tech Sideline podcast, which starts right now. We welcome you in, whether you are listening on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, or watching live or archived on the YouTube. We ask you to like, comment, and subscribe if you are on the YouTube. And if you're watching live, make sure to drop a comment or question in the chat for Will and Chris, and we'll get to them with Nick at the end of the show. As always, the Tech Sideline podcast is brought to you by the Regional Training Center. You can help bring Olympic hopeful athletes to Blacksburg and one of the best and fastest growing programs in the country. Go to southeastrtc.com to learn more and donate today. So we don't have our usual Wednesday crew on set today. If that intro sounded a little bad, it's because the best podcast host in the land, Jake Lyman, is enjoying his Thanksgiving break, so I'll be filling in today. But... For the rest of the crew, we have it as normal, Will Stewart, founder and general manager across the way, Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist to my left, behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land, and in the fourth chair today is Nick Brown. He'll have his segment in the middle of the show, and he'll get to your YouTube questions at the end. And I'm your podcast host for today, Katie Adams, so let's get started. Um, As we come to a close this football season, this is obviously the last game with this current coaching staff if there is no bowl game, but it feels like it's going to be a little bit emotional and a little bit bittersweet, kind of with so many of these players being former Virginia Tech players. You talk about Jay Hamm and J.C. Price and Jack Tyler, who are guys who have really just given so much to this program. And so it's going to be interesting to see how the players come out and play for them in their last game as their coaches. And didn't we have like 20 seniors go through senior day? Yeah, something like that. That's a lot. A record number probably. Last year it was like five right <laughs> I, I don't remember uh, um yeah and you know you have some other guys on the team like i don't believe raheem blackshear went through uh senior day and, and caleb what, smith right taiwan garbage uh, braxton burmeister did right. not go through senior nice. day so the, there's some older players in the program that uh you know maybe they do move on who knows but they, they they at least gave themselves the option to come back but you know even besides the actual coaches there are other virginia tech people in this program like jaron govea winslow who's on the recruiting staff uh Pearson Prelo and Kyshawn Jarrett, who are on the support right. staff. Uh, Ryan Schumann, who's on the strength staff. I don't want to leave anybody out, but there is a large Virginia Tech presence on this staff right now. And, and that's you know, all up in the air. That's all up in the air. Yeah. 
But first, let's welcome you to the host chair before we <laughs> jump right in. So I was thinking you win the award for best dressed podcast host ever. Thank you. Clearly, you did not get the uniform that the polo shirt and khakis are the host uniform. <laughs> uh, that would be something if I showed up in that. <laughs> so anyway, I think uh, I think you're the fourth different uh, SMA student we've had host. Yeah. Evan, Nick, Nick's done one, uh, Jake. You. And me. I think that's it. That yeah. <laughs> so welcome in. We know you're going to be great and sorry to sorry to interrupt, but I just definitely wanted to give you your moment. Yeah, no worries there. I appreciate it. I'm super excited. So as we begin to analyze this game, I want to talk about the offensive and the defensive matchups. Let's start with the UVA offense and the Virginia Tech defense. In previous podcasts, we've talked about certain players that you really have to prepare for, whether it was Sam Howell on UNC or Jordan Addison on Pitt. And in this game, it's undoubtedly Brennan Armstrong on UVA. Yeah, um, there was some debate on the boards this morning about who's UVA's best quarterback of all time. And I guess if you go back to the 80s, you know, the magic man, Mikowski, yeah. who ended up being Green Bay's starting quarterback. And then you fast forward, um, I think Sean Moore finished fourth in the Heisman voting around 1990. And then Matt Schaub, of course, was a, was a really good player. And but, you got to put Aaron Brooks in that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know, Schaub's last year at UVA was 2003, so I, I, I think you can basically say that Brennan Armstrong, at the very least, is their best quarterback of the last two decades. Mm-hmm. So he presents quite an obstacle on Saturday night. Yeah, I saw that discussion on the boards, and, and people were talking about uh, Perkins. Mm-hmm. And and I thought, I think it was Hokie Pro summed it up. He said, he said I think Perkins was a great college quarterback, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. he had the running threat. Not that Armstrong can't run. He's a pretty good runner. Um, going back to the Mikowski thing, if I remember correctly, he was their quarterback when they first started going to bowls under George Welsh. He was, as, as a Packers fan, there haven't been very many starting quarterbacks for the Packers over a year. So you got Aaron Rodgers right now. Mm-hmm. Before Aaron Rodgers, it was Brett Favre. And before Brett Favre, it was Don Mikowski. So going down the rabbit hole a little bit more, I was actually looking through Turn Up the Wick, and I read the section where Frank talked about playing against Southern Miss in Lane Stadium when Brett Favre was the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And Will Fuhrer was Tech's quarterback at the time, and he outplayed Favre that day. Mm-hmm. Favre was like 50% completion percentage and threw two interceptions, and, and Tech won the football game. So started 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 to go down that rabbit hole. Um, carry on. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, uh, Brennan I Armstrong. That, that's why I got a blank <laughs> look on my face. Like, yeah, where, 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 Brennan where? Armstrong, all right, 65% completion rate, 4,000 right. passing yards on the year, 30 touchdowns, nine interceptions. And if you remember, he missed a whole game and parts of another. Right. So, you, you know, you could be looking at – 4,400 yards and 35 touchdowns or something if he had been available for the whole season. So he's quite a challenge. Yeah, so he's number three in the country in total yards passing despite missing a game and part of another game. And he's number two in passing yards per game. And so those are, you know, those are what we call the traditional metrics. But when you start looking at PFF grades, I think he's a number six ranked quarterback. They all match up. So the dude can play, and it's funny, you were – introing this section and you talked about the matchup between Brennan Armstrong and the Virginia Tech defense and in my brain I was like that's not a matchup that's a mismatch and I probably shouldn't talk that way on the Tech podcast. Well, you know it's it's a mismatch of against the Virginia Tech defense that showed up last week. Right. It's not necessarily a mismatch against some of the earlier Tech defensive performances. Um, I, I mean obviously Tech has struggled against the run more than they have against the past. Last week accepted. Right. Um, they're capable of playing better than they were last week. But you kind of worry because obviously Jermaine Waller's hurt. And it's gotten to the point where his performances have dropped off so much. And you've got Armani Chapman, 
and, and you know, Waller's a senior, it's his last game, and you want to start him, but how healthy is he? And, and I wonder it, if they it, might it, pull the plug is, on is, him. I mean, is Chapman the better option right now? I mean, a healthy Jermaine Waller is a great player, but, if, you know, if he's having that foot issue again, all over again, then uh, it might be wise to start Chapman in this game. And Waller, I don't remember exactly what point it was in the Miami game. It was late. And it was fourth he, quarter. Yeah, and he, he came up gimpy on, I think it was left his left foot. Oh, yeah, he was he bouncing was on one, yeah. So I missed an opportunity to get a dad joke in. If you haven't read my preview, I introduced the UVA offense section, and I say, the Virginia offense, Brennan's strong arm. Uh, You're proud of that one. Oh, man. I made that up on my own, too. I didn't (laughs) didn't see that anywhere else. (laughs) And, you know, the experience of their offense. Here's their starting offense. Sophomore, senior, 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 grad student, junior, senior, senior, senior. Now tell us who the junior and the sophomore are. The sophomore is Dontavian Wicks. Who's a great receiver. Yeah, 1,100 receiving yards this year. And And the junior junior is Brennan Armstrong. Armstrong, right. Right, so... I mean, yeah, the entire offensive line is is all seniors and graduate students. So, I think that's part of what's uh, driving the bus there is the experience, and then they got the the difference maker at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Circling back to Brennan Armstrong, is he going to be the best quarterback that Virginia Tech has faced this season? You obviously have faced Sam Howell and Kenny Pickett, who are excellent mm. in their own right, but Armstrong brings a different breed to this game. I would say that's a really good question. Uh, I know Howell did not have a good game against Tech. Right. Um, do you remember what uh, Nick's going to look up uh, Pickett's stats? I mean, you know, Pitt only scored 28 points. Well, yeah. Um, I think Pickett and Howell, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know what the NFL scouts feel about Armstrong. Right. I, I've read plenty of how they, what they feel about Pickett and mm-hmm. Howell, and I know those guys seem to project well to the NFL. I, I don't know that. I have no idea about Armstrong, to be honest right. with you. Uh, but, I mean, at the, at the very least, I mean, he might be the best college quarterback Tech, tech faces this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the question is, is he going to be with those guys long-term, NFL future and all that stuff, or are we just talking about this year? So what did Pickett do this year? Pickett was 22-37 for 203 yards. Yeah. He had two touchdowns. But tech, tech played a good game against Pickett. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's yeah. not a lot of yards for, those, for that number of yeah. attempts. I think when I, I – I hope I'm wrong, but I think Armstrong will probably have the best day against Tech. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Pickett had an, a very average day for Pickett, and Howell had a bad day. So, you know, for some reason, Malcolm was out at the house last night, and for some reason I pulled up the uh, the North Carolina game and watched probably the first quarter to, to first half. Just to feel happy watching Tech football again. Uh, You know, and it was funny. I didn't really watch the defense all that closely. I was watching the offense and the energy that the offense had. They were breaking the huddle. They were running out like little leaguers and getting in their positions, and (laughs) and they were physical. And the difference between what you see now was really remarkable. You know, and I don't think it was all the Lane Stadium crowd. There's there's definitely a a different vibe in the program. It's confidence. Yep. They had it then, and they they don't have it now. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. There was obviously a concern that Brennan Armstrong was going to be out for the season. I really thought he got hurt in that BYU game, didn't play against Notre Dame. I assume to save him for that pit game for a chance to go to the ACC championship. Yeah, I think played that's in fair. the pit game, I heard he was wearing like a fleck jacket and that he felt 
okay. So assume he's going to play good this week. Obviously, he's a really efficient passer, but he also has some significant help from his wide receiver core. Dontavian Wicks is a guy who the Virginia Tech defense is really going to need to watch out for this week. J.C. Price mentioned how lengthy that group is. What kind of impact do they bring to this game? You know, they've got a lot of size in there, and – you know, Wicks is a big guy. Thompson is obviously a big guy, and he can line up at tailback, H-back, wide receiver. In fact, his official position is called football player. He's FBP in <laughs> the depth yeah, chart. Yeah. So. He's not a wide receiver. He's not a tight end or running back. He's a football player. And they, I think UVA list, they list, and I've started, remember, I'm the guy who makes up the roster cards, so I have this perspective on things. And the, our roster cards include the starting lineup. And a lot of teams have started to list more than 11 guys in their starting lineup. Um, UVA lists 12 guys on offense. And I think that's, they list three wide receivers and an H back. And there's something else going on there. I don't quite recall. <clears throat> on defense, they list 13 guys. And two of them are the same guy. There's a Sabre position and an X position. And I think it's Noah Taylor that they include in both of those. But back to the discussion, um, UVA also does a thing in their stats where they sort receivers by number of catches, not number of yards. Virginia Tech does it by number of yards. So if you look, uh, Keaton Thompson has 71 catches for 899 yards, 12.7. And this is really odd. Thompson has 71 catches and one touchdown. It's very rare to see that. Yeah. And, then, um, and, and he's a remember he transferred to UVA as a quarterback. That's right. And so he's thrown four passes on the year too. But uh, you know these are big guys. Thompson is six four two ten. Wicks is six one two zero five. Tight end Jelani Woods is six seven two sixty five. Um, Rashawn Henry is six three one ninety. So you've got some big targets in there, and obviously yeah. you've got Billy Kemp. He's kind of like he's get the second leading receiver on the team, sixty six catches, less than ten yards a catch, but he's like more your possession guy. Yeah. You know, and despite has, despite the fact that, you know he's the smallest one, five nine one seventy five, but he's yeah. the possession guy in the slot. You'll see him against uh, Chamari Connor quite a bit in this game, but uh, that's a really solid overall group of receivers. So to to fill out the. Keaton Thompson's story a little bit more. We got him to talk about how he's listed as FBP football player. 71 catches, uh, and you said he carries the ball some 38 times. So in terms of mm-hmm. number of carries, he's number four on the team. Uh, he, I've got I've, number five. One, Any, two, three. Yeah, it's right here. Armstrong, Talapapa, Mike Collins. And Thompson. And Thompson, yeah. Fourth. Uh, so And he's also throwing the ball four times. He does have four touchdowns one. on his 38 carries but only one touchdown on his 71 receptions. Wow, that's I'd find that to be an interesting stat. So getting beyond Thompson and Kemp, you get down into Wicks, and Wicks has got almost Andre Davis-type numbers. He's got 54 catches for 1,148 yards, which is 21.3 per catch, and nine touchdowns. So that's the guy. That's that's the guy that's going to make the big, long plays like what, what you saw against Miami last weekend. Yeah, we talk about the strength of that UVA receiving core and want to kind of circle back around to the struggling hooky <clears throat> secondary. This is obviously a really bad time for them to have just be coming off of their worst game of the entire season. So how much of a concern is that? Extremely. Uh, it's a big, big concern. Um, you just saw many, saw too many breakdowns in coverage in the back end. Tate Daly's been Virginia Tech's best safety this year. Right. And 
when he got knocked out of the game after what six or eight plays for targeting, eight plays. Yeah. and it was all downhill from there. Not that Tech got off to a great start by any stretch, but he's been Virginia Tech's most consistent performer on the back end. Now, at least it happened in the first half and not the second half. Otherwise, he would be suspended for the first half of this week's game. But yes. uh, you know, there you saw breakdowns from Peoples. You saw breakdowns from the linebackers. You saw breakdowns from Chamari Connor. I mean, I, I don't think anybody escapes criticism from that game part of it is like that's just what miami does i mean van dyke is what was it the first quarterback in accc history to pass for 300 yards and have three touchdown passes in five straight five straight games which is pretty incredible like trevor lawrence never did that right so so part of that is like that's just what miami does but part of it it was also breakdowns in tech secondary when you have breakdowns in the secondary it's generally you know just lack of mental focus and and, that, and that's a concern because, you know, when you lose your head coach and you don't know whether you're going to be playing here next year or not, you don't know who your position coach is going to be, you don't know your, who your coordinator or your head coach is going to be, you know, it's hard to stay mentally into it, I think. And they've, you know, the if I want to make a sarcastic joke, I say that's okay, they make up for it by not getting any pressure on the quarterback, you know. And that's the other thing that happened against Miami was no sacks, Mm-hmm. It's not fair to say they didn't get any pressure. There were some instances, uh, particularly when, when Tech had that good defensive stretch in the middle mm-hmm. against Miami where they were – Van Dyke was making some throws under duress. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, th- I think you need more from the D-line this time around. But then it gets into that old thing of uh, – let's, let's look at Armstrong's rushing numbers. He's gained 451 yards on the year. He's lost 207. You know, I assume the vast majority of that is on sacks. Yep. So, but in terms of number of yards gained, he's their leading rusher, and there's really nobody else close. Mm-hmm. So, you know, J.C. Price talked about this. He's a. It's funny. He's listed at six two two fifteen, but he just seems a lot more physical than that. Well, to me. well, have you said you've? Did you pay any attention to him at ACC Media uh-uh. weekend? Uh, he looks. He looks thicker than 6'2", 215. Yeah. He, when you see him in person, he looks more like, you would guess he was 6'1", 225 if you saw him in person. Yeah. That, that's that's how I view him. But, yeah, he's a, I think he is a physical runner. He's got a long run of 45 yards on the year. Like, he's not a dominant runner, but, but he's certainly good enough. He actually leads them in rushing touchdowns this year with seven. Well, you mentioned earlier how the UVA offensive line starts five seniors. So that's definitely a spot where they kind of have the edge over the Hokies. Barno had a really great game against UVA last year, and I think it's critical that he does that again, not only for the sake of the Hokies' defense, but for the sake of his draft stock as as well. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to put them in longer yardage situations. I don't think you can sit there and say – Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get a stop on third and four, or here it is, it's second and five, and uh, you know I, I think you need to put them in second and elevens and third and nines. And now don't get me wrong, because of Armstrong, they're still very capable in those situations, but uh, the percentages get moved to uh, Virginia Tech's favor in those situations. So to me, that's you know the key is is limiting them on the ground. They're not a great rushing team, but you know they they just don't do it very often. Armstrong leads them in carries this year with eighty nine. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of a mix after him. You've got four guys with between 29 and, and 57 carries. Uh, they do average 4.5 yards per carry, but overall the running game doesn't concern you nearly as much. But So Tech needs to stop the running game. You can sit here and say, oh, they need to stop Brennan Armstrong. Well, that's not likely. The best option is to totally shut down that running game and put him in, put him behind the sticks. 
put him in the most difficult situations you can possibly put him in. Yeah, Chris, you mentioned some of your keys to the game for this Virginia Tech defense. Will, do you have any closing thoughts on what Virginia Tech needs to do on defense to have success against Brennan Armstrong? I am feverishly searching for <laughs> where where UVA is in terms of uh, sacks given up. Uh, you wrote it in the article. Oh, sacks allowed? Sacks allowed. I, I know they're – I, I want to say they're like – I don't know where they are in sacks they're allowed. They're way down there. Uh, their, their PFF pass blocking grade was like 25th or 30th or something like that. So let me double check this because I'm seeing them. They're, they're 121st in the country, and that's in sacks allowed. It is that. I'm looking it up too. I got you. 38. They've given up 38 sacks on the year. Mm-hmm. Yep. That I did not research that for my preview. Nick, can you double check that for me? Yep, because uh, it just it doesn't sound right. It is. It's thirty eight. Mm. I'm on the official NCAA website. Yep, opponent sacks thirty eight. Huh. Well, Tech's yeah. not getting a lot of sacks these days. Right. They started off the season getting a lot of sacks against so, North Carolina, but that has really declined. slowed down. So recently. Brennan so, has lost two hundred seven yards right. on the season, and but I, I was unable 209 to... yards in the sacks. Yeah. Of course, he didn't play a game, so that's. That plays a part in the Notre Dame right. game, but yeah, and some so. of some of them was against Wolfolk against against Notre Dame. Yeah. So what are the keys for Tech? Wow, um, I wonder. You got to play better on the back end. Um, I I would hate to see Jermaine Waller not get to play in what will probably be his last game. Definitely but, his last but game. He's looked really rough the last two or three games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dorian Strong is okay. He's not quite as good as he was last year in coverage. He's got to get bigger, and he's facing big receivers. Yeah. Um, um, and so so your options at corner, if you don't go with Waller or Chapman and uh, Strong, correct? Yeah. Um, so if those are your two guys, they got to play well. And you better play from the safeties. Um, and and probably figure out a way to pressure the quarterback. One of the things that, that concerns me about Tech's defense and, and – um, I don't feel like they've been successful when they've blitzed. I feel like the blitzes have been picked up fairly often, so you're just kind of wasting a rusher or two. So it'd be nice to scheme some guys with more open lanes to the quarterback. And, uh, you know, other than that, just do what you did against Miami, and you mentioned this, shut down the tailback running game, which is what they did against Miami. They did. Because they gave up the big plays, it didn't really help. So. That's about six keys to play. Yeah, and look, this was a similar matchup last year. I didn't really see a great path to victory for Virginia Tech last year, but instead Virginia Tech went out there and smoked them, and they were actually way more physical than UVA in that game last yeah. year. Uh, if you remember, Divine Diablo knocked uh, Thompson out of the game. I remember Diablo. Um, it was the most physical game he played in entire, was, his entire I, career. I never. I always thought that guy looked more physical than he played right. that game. He lo- He played like he looked. He left yeah, it yeah. out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, unfortunately, he plays for the Raiders now, right. not Virginia <laughs> Tech anymore. So, yeah. uh, I, Tech's got to toughen up in the secondary. Te- Tech's got to, you know, find whatever was within them last year. And just play a more physical football game, yeah. I think. And these 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 UVA receivers are big, man. Yeah. And uh, you know, you know, you got to figure if Waller's out there, you know, Waller when he's healthy is a really good player. But right now he's hurt, and he you know he's kind of a skinny guy too. Yeah. Dorian Strong's a skinny guy, so they're going to try to take advantage of the of these of the size matchups. So I'm just I'm not real optimistic about that side of the ball we, that we spent the first half of the podcast on. <laughs> 
Yeah, one last thing before we go over to Nick. Like we mentioned earlier, this is the last game for this Hokies coaching staff besides a possible bowl game. So you would have to assume that Justin Hamilton has been dialing up a, dialing up a game plan for this UVA offense to a T, um, not only for the success of his team, but also for the future of his coaching career. Yeah. And whether or not he possibly gets retained or picked up somewhere else, the last thing you want to do in your last game as a defensive coordinator is give up 50 is points. give up 50 points. Yeah, right. absolutely. Uh, especially like for a guy like Jay Ham and J.C. Price and Jack Tyler, who were all Virginia Tech grads, and, and they've all been in so many battles with, with UVA th throughout the years. Uh, so, yeah, you know, this game, I mean, throwing out their future, you know, this game is, is very important to, the, to those three guys simply because they've uh, so much of their history has been playing UVA during their college careers. Yeah, and I don't – of course, we have no way of knowing what's going to happen next. Um and, and it gets complicated by, you know, if you, if you lose this game, that's it, your season's over. If you win this game, then there's a bowl game to be played, I would hope. Yeah, you know, there will be. Yeah. And Nobody's going to decline bowl bids. So year. it becomes this whole thing of new coach getting named and how do you handle that? You, you're and, trying to find your next job, but you also have to prepare the team for a bowl game and all that. So you end up like, okay – Maybe this coach takes a job somewhere else. So all of a sudden, you've got a grad assistant coaching the offensive line for the ball game, something like that. And that's why ball games—you can't take them too seriously this year, uh, these days, unless you're like in a really, really big one. And we've never been in this situation because when Frank retired, you knew Frank was going to coach the ball game, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so there was no having to figure that stuff out. And I don't even remember if Fuente coached his, his last coach that ball game for. for oh, I'm sure. That I, no, he didn't. They probably. I mean, he was here recruiting. Remember that Tech had two offices. Like Beamer was still in the regular coach's office, and they gave Fuente an office actually up in the suites in Lane Stadium, so that's he could start right. recruiting. That's from right. That's uh, right. Yeah. Okay, I forgot about that. So that's some. You know, I don't pay attention to other teams and how they handle that, and I'm sure it's different from situation to situation. So, uh, yeah, it, it's tough for those guys, and and you know, whoever the new coach is. Um, you know, it's it's not. It's possible that guys like Jack Tyler and, and Justin Hamilton can be kept on in some other role, not necessarily an on-field coach. It's complicated, and the new guy's going to have to figure that out. Yeah. All right. Well, before we take our break, we're going to send it over to Nick Brown in the fourth chair. What do you have for us today, Nick? I got my usual stat time with <laughs> Mr. Scott Glessner. Got my graphic out again today. Uh, the first one, last time Virginia Tech did not record a sack against UVA was 1990 where Tech forced six turnovers and won 38-13, the sweeter-than-sugar game. So that was dominant and still didn't get a sack. That wow. really surprises me. Mm -hmm. um, How do you get six turnovers without getting a sack? Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> and and you, you can, like, your first impulse is to say that's because they had Sean Moore at quarterback, but mm -hmm. most or all of that game, they played Matt Blunden. So it wasn't like Sean Moore was running around back there avoiding sacks. That, mm -hmm. That's a really interesting stat. Mm -hmm. By the way, trivia about that game, Derek Dooley was, was a wide receiver for UVA in that game. No, none of these people know who Derek Dooley is. <laughs> Correct. Do you know who Derek Dooley is? Who is Derek Dooley? He's a UVA wide receiver. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, dad, right, my dad talks about disliking him. So Derek, really? Derek yeah. Dooley was uh, – the nephew of former Virginia Tech head coach Bill Dooley, yeah, the son yeah. of Vince Dooley, who won the national title at mm -hmm. Georgia. Derek went on to become the head coach at Tennessee. Head coach for a at while. Tennessee. Before that, he was just like his uncle at Virginia Tech. He at Louisiana Tech, he was both head football coach and athletic director. Mm -hmm. Now that I didn't know. Yeah. Wow. I think he might be the last guy 
in major college football to be head coach and athletic director at the same time. I just remember that, that Sean Moore got hurt, so he's going to be out for that game. So they, they put in Blunden. Now, Blunden turned out later to be a really good quarterback. Um, the following year, he went 250 50 passes or something like that without throwing an interception. So he turned out to be a good quarterback. But he was inexperienced in that game. And then the reason I always think of Derek Dooley is that Blunden came out and played well, and Dooley dropped, I think, a couple of passes. His wide receivers really let him down. Mm-hmm. And so that's when the you know the whole thing kind of built. Tech got to foam at the mouth a little bit, and it wound up being 38-13. That was a game where Tech uh, spray-painted their, their shoes black for the game. We need to do a separate <laughs> co- uh, podcast about that game. And that was a really cold game, right? I don't recall it being really uh, cold. Uh, there was one game back then, and I was thinking it was this one, where uh, – but so tech at the time they were so broke as an athletic department and a program they they didn't have like pants to wear under <laughs> the, the their actual football pants to keep them warm so they sent a coach to like Walmart or whatever and bought like ninety pairs of pantyhose and they wore pantyhose under their under their under their football pants because it was so cold I thought it was that UVA game but maybe I'm wrong anyway so the other interesting <laughs> another piece of interesting trivia about that game so Lane Stadium didn't have bleachers in the north end zone back then i think the north end zone was just totally wide open mm-hmm. and that game was during thanksgiving break and the tech administration is like oh the students won't be around we'll take some or all of their tickets and sell them and make some extra money so they did that and the students actually filled the street outside castle coliseum <laughs> i think in protest so tech went out and uh rented bleachers for the north end zone for that game it was something like Four or five thousand seats. It was a lot of bleachers. So if you go back and you watch the uh, the tape of that game, there were there are bleachers in the north end zone that were temporary that were brought mm-hmm. in just for the game because the the students rioted in the streets because the <laughs> athletic administration had sold their tickets. I'm not making this up. That was a long <laughs> conversation right off one stat from Clot from Scott Glossner. Right, well, well we've got we, some that's more why here. We do the fourth chair. <laughs> one not so great stat according to Scott Glossner since 1991. UVA is 4-0 against Tech. This is the Tech-UVA series. When they have a quarterback throws 300-plus yards, and ironically, Virginia Tech is 0-1 when Tech has a quarterback that throws more than 300 yards. Since You mean we've only done it since once since 1991? Yes, and that was Hendon Hooker back in 2019. Okay, that was good. That so that my is guess. really bizarre. Yeah, I'm speechless. I mean, that's 30-some games, and Tech's only thrown for 300 yards once. Well... Some Maybe of those wins, some of some of those wins, like Michael Vick only threw the ball nine times against UVA in, in 1999, and Tech won by 24. And in 2001, they just gave Kevin Jones the ball the times, quarter and a half, yeah. right? Yeah. So a lot of that's just. And even in 2016, Motley came in for about three fourths of the fourth quarter. Yeah, and in some of those years, like 2012, 2015, 2014, Tech's so offense was so bad that you know they won the game, but they were going up against. Mike London, and, <laughs> and you can beat Mike London. The master of timeouts. Exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, in the last nine games versus UVA, Virginia Tech's opening drive has not scored a touchdown. In fact, Virginia Tech has only scored four touchdowns since 1987 on the opening drive. So we're due. So, so you're saying that. there's a chance. <laughs> Well, that may be one of the keys to the game. I mean, you know, yeah. Miami scored in their first four possessions and Tech scored 10 points. Yeah, and 
th- this is a game where if Virginia Tech gets up and they can c- keep running the football, because you we'll come to UVA's defense in a second, but uh, it's not very good. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, so if, if, if Virginia Tech can can keep the game tied or stay up and they can keep running the football, then that's how you keep Brennan Armstrong off the field. But if you get down by 14 points and you have to start throwing it, um, but that's not that wouldn't be good. I just want it to be competitive because I'm going to be there. In Are the you Scots. really? Yes, I am. Why? Because uh, <laughs> it's what I do. I don't know. Yep. Yeah. By the way, ticket price is the cheapest one online that I could find, $70. Really? And that was quite surprising to me. Yeah. Um, uh, in our in our college friends group group chat, there's a, there's some that they're group text. There's some that don't have tickets, and they were talking about seventy five dollars and, yeah. and up. I mean, they're yeah. not cheap. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, last one. Yeah, Scott forgot one. It's okay. We'll forgive you, Mister Glessner. Uh, since nineteen ninety, only three UVA Tech games have resulted in a one score game at Charlottesville. In Charlottesville, only so three. that would be ninety five. 2019 and 2015. Yep. Yeah. 95 was 36 29. No, 2019 wasn't. I thought it was like a nine point. Well, it was. They got the late fumble. Yeah. Right. And they made it 38 29, which is right. Right. So technically, so so we've got 95 and 2015. Man, 2017. No, that was 10. Since, since what year? 10, uh, 1990. Oh, uh, that would be 93 then. 20 to 17. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff Holland yeah. blocked field goal. Shout out to Jeff Holland. Yeah. <laughs> Crawling on his hands and knees to get that football. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then a lot of people mentioning, it's, uh, I also said in the comments that we touched on the Memphis game tonight. Went more in depth on that on Monday. Um, but wanted to shout out. It's the Nolly homecoming game. Oh, the Nolly. Nolly. I had yeah. I had that made the day after he went off against Clemson in his Tech debut, and then uh, well he transferred that year. And so Nick Nick, <laughs> Nick so kind of left it. <laughs> Nick had a number two jersey in his possession, and then after uh, yeah, I did not buy it like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, after no. Nolly did well in that first game, you went out and got a brother uh, on the back. But yeah, so I've just I either been too lazy, and there hasn't been number two since then. Well, he had Jada last year, but Jada that left count. the team after that four was games. quick. Yeah, that so, doesn't count. Nobody's gonna remember that guy <laughs> exactly. So he, he did what I call a touch and go. <laughs> that was a very touch and go. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's a very hyped up game. Virginia Tech is now favored in that game, fifty six percent on the ESPN win percentage. Now mm-hmm. that shifted overnight. What's the line, the Vegas line? Anybody? I could not find a line on that. Um, we'll look that up at the break and see. Yeah. Virginia Tech versus Memphis. Is that all from you, Nick? I'm pulling up the line right, right now. Money line. Let's see. Picks and predictions. Now nah, we'll go over break. And we'll I hear back. the Jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're going to take a break here on episode 211 of the Tech Sideline podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. And when we come back, we'll get into how the Hokies offense can improve on a very lackluster UVA defense. Make sure you stay with us here on episode 211 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We'll be right back.
Welcome back into episode 211 of the Tech Sideline podcast. It's great to have you with us on set today. We have Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, Nick Brown in the fourth chair, Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes, and I am your host, Katie Adams. As we preview the Commonwealth Clash on Saturday, we've already talked about the UVA offense and their matchup against the Hokies defense. Two, stre- two of the strengths of these teams, but want to get into the opposite side of the ball for both teams. The UVA defense has looked extremely lackluster this season and seems to be something that the Hokies might be able to take advantage of in this game. It's a wretched defense. To be it's wretched. Wretched. Uh, they actually shut out Duke, but they're still giving up like 35 points per game against ACC teams, which shows you exactly how much they're giving up against the other teams. So you keep talking, and I'll do the math in my head. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there are some teams – where you look at their traditional stats and they aren't good, but then you look at the advanced stats and they're actually better because maybe their offense has a lot of possessions, so their defense is on the field more, so they give up more yards, but but there's more possessions, so there's more opportunities to give up yards. With the UVA, that's not the case. They are horrible in the traditional stats. They are horrible in the advanced metrics. <laughs> they're pretty much horrible at everything. Um, they're, they're a team that they're 6-5. and five. Uh, They won two games where an opponent's missed last-second field goals. Especially that and real- one of those field goals was missed by a kicker who was twenty of twenty two on the, the, the Miami kicker, and it was yep. a short kick too. Yeah, it was Very, like thirty some yards. Right, right. So, it. Exactly, right, it right off the upright. Right. Um, so Virginia is not much different than Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech has a better defense. UVA's got awesome quarterback play, um, but they're generally speaking one of those teams where every week is is matchup dependent. I, I watched I watched part of their. I got back to the hotel room in Atlanta in time to watch like the fourth quarter of their game against BYU, and it was just Oof. their their defense might have not, might as well not even been on the field. It was so bad. Um, so I did the math in my head, and against uh, ACC teams not named Duke, they're giving up forty one points a game. So a lot. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, so here in the, it, I'll admit that. So I wrote the game preview this week. I don't usually, and by the time I got down to the UVA defense, I was starting to wear down a little bit. So I didn't go as in depth as I did with their offense. You don't need to. Total defense. These are traditional metrics. Total defense. They're the 121st out of 130 teams. Scoring defense. They're number 102. That's with the benefit of a shutout against Duke. And they have two shutouts because one against William and Mary. Too. And I shut out William and Mary too. Wow. Uh, Pass defense, they're number 96 in the country, and rush defense, number 122. Right. And therein lies the path to victory. Can we please give the ball to Raheem Blackshear this week? <laughs> please give the ball to Connor Blumrick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, goodness. And the thing is, it's like, it's not even an experience thing. I'm sitting here looking at their starting lineup on defense, and it looks like they've got four seniors and five juniors starting on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. So it's just a coaching slash talent issue is what it appears to me. Um, if they were running out a bunch of freshmen and sophomores, you could say, okay, yeah, they're going to improve get next year. Yeah. But uh, this is a defense that has been entirely recruited by Bronco Mendenhall and developed by Bronco Mendenhall and his staff, and they're just not very good. So it'll be interesting to see if he does anything with his defensive coaching staff in the offseason. Obviously, he's he brought his guys with him from BYU. And generally speaking, in the past – you know, defense was never like a huge, huge issue. I mean, he's a former defensive coach himself. So it's really, it's honestly surprising. I, I, you know, when they hired him, I, I, you you just think with his past, it's like, okay, they're going to be scrappy and decent on offense, but but they're they're going to be much, much better defensively and the the total around. opposite. Yeah. And, and, and it's not like they're a wimpy pushover team. They got, they got some, they have a fairly physical team on offense, I think. 
it's it's hard to say because they throw it so much. Yeah. Uh, well, I think maybe maybe one of the reasons their defense has dropped off is because they've gotten a little more finesse offensively. I mean, you sit around and practice all day, and and you're hard, and you're just throwing and throwing and throwing and throwing. How are you really gonna be learn how to be physical if you're a linebacker or a defensive lineman? Um, it's kind of like like that's the that's one of the speculations of what happened to Florida under Dan Mullen is is you know he always had running teams at Mississippi State or balanced teams at least, and then you know he got trasked down at Florida and they just started throwing the ball all over the field. The more they threw it, the more they threw it, the less physical they got on the defensive side of the ball, and they became a soft football team. Uh, it's kind of like a lot of the Big 12 teams. I was going to say, it sounds heavy. like the state of Texas. Right, right. Yeah, so, where there's so much emphasis on offense. So that, 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 that's something Bronco's got to figure out in the offseason, I think, is how to make his offense more balanced because I think they'll become a, a more physical overall football team, a tougher overall football team with more balance on the offensive end. Yeah. But uh, generally speaking, you know, I don't think you can sit back there and throw it 80% of the time and expect to put, trot out a tough physical defense. So the the one thing they do well, I, I looked at their team stats, and, and uh, it was pretty much the only thing I think that I could find that they did well. Uh, when you get down in the red zone against them, their red zone defensive touchdown percentage is 52.2%, mm-hmm. which is tied for number 27 in the country. So they don't give up, a, relatively speaking, they don't give up a lot of touchdowns in the red zone. Yeah, they just now, give up a lot of 50-yard touchdowns. <laughs> now, offensively, in red zone TD percentage, Virginia Tech is number 72 in the country. So as we know from watching the Hokies all year, they're not that great at punching it in once they get down. They, they were really bad early in the season. Yes. Um, they've gotten a lot better w- went through, recently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, or, well, after those first three or four games, they, they got better. I'd agree with that. So um, – that is something to watch when Tech does get down inside the red zone. Which Tech do will do. Yeah. I mean, I mean, going against these, this defense, Virginia Tech's going to have opportunities to score. Yeah. And, and if UVA is going to be slinging it all over the yard on offense and scoring some points, uh, you know, Tech's going to have to cash in on those no opportunities. Doubt. Yeah, we may not hear many UVA defenders' names called across the stadium during the game, but one that you are going to hear is Nick Jackson, definitely one of the more experienced players on this defense. Yeah, leads him in tackles. I believe he's got 107 tackles on, on the season. And that's by a wide margin. I think the next next closest guy is 77, I think. Uh, I believe that's right. Wow. You're right. Right. Also got five and a half tackles for loss and, and two sacks. Uh, you know, they've got some guys on their defense that have played well for them at times in their careers, like, like Noah Taylor, Joey Blunt. Uh, Mandy Alonzo, um, you know, they, to me, I know they can't stop the run, but when I've watched them, what's really stood out to me is how lost they look in the secondary. Yeah, um, they looked that way against Pitt. They don't tackle well. Like you remember the the Tavion Robinson touchdown against them last year? Yes, where it was they threw it short over the, pass. Uh, yeah, and the, the 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 tackle attempt by that UVA corner or safety or whatever it was was just horrendous. Absolutely horrendous, and Tavion made a great play on it. Don't get me wrong, but like a mediocre defender would have made that tackle. Yeah. Uh, it was it was right there for him because he had the sideline to help him too. That's what made it really bad. All he so, had to do was push him out of bounds, and the guy just kind of stopped. And instead, he went to the inside and low, yeah, and yeah, just kind of yeah, it was play. bad. So they're just not a not a good defensive football team. So I think I think a guy that stands out to me uh, just looking is uh, Noah Taylor. Um, he plays the Sam position, and that's that's an outside linebacker position. I don't know if they have him put his uh, hand on the ground ever. They're, they're basically a 3-4 defense, but I don't know if they bring some of the bigger linebackers up and have him put their 
Most defenses are multi-front these yeah. days. So. so Noah Taylor is he's number seven, so he's a guy to look for. Now he's defensive end size six five two two twenty five. So he's a guy that at the outside linebacker position, um, you know that's that's one of the things. I mean, this defense is playing poorly, but one of the things that Bronco has done since he got there is put larger guys out in those passing lanes, you know, the mm-hmm. um, lengthier guys. For yeah, sure. lengthier guys out there in, in that flat area and in that short passing area where, can, where they can disrupt an offense. But he's um, he's third on the team in tackles with 66. He has team highs in tackles for loss with eight, sacks three and a half, and QB hurries seven. So he's a guy they put outside and – they're not a, they're as a team they are not a disruptive defense but he's their mo- the guy with the most potential to be disruptive. Want to shift it over to the Virginia Tech offense. Here we go again with some quarterback <laughs> uncertainty towards the end of the year. Burmeister and Blumrick essentially split split reps on Saturday against Miami and JC Price announced that they weren't going to announce the starting quarterback for this game until later on into the week. Who would you guys say is going to be under center if you had to guess right now? I mean, I would start Burmeister and I would play Blumrick. Um I, I think you know, there was one drive there where Blumrick completed a few passes, including the fourth and sixth. At one point, he reception. completed five in a row. Right. Well, that was his only five that he completed the whole game. Well, there you go. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, by the time the fourth quarter. So he's streaky. Yeah, right. Well, so Miami's rush defense is bad. Tech was gashing him on the yeah. run. Yeah, they were. But once it became clear that, that Virginia Tech was outside of that one little flurry by Blumrick, he wasn't going to be able to complete passes against them. They really loaded up and stopped Tech's running game. You you have to have balance, and to me, you know, Burmeister is is the best option. I mean, he should get the majority of the snaps. Look, it's not like Burmeister wasn't running the ball against Miami. Right, he, he, he was, was running too. all over him. Yeah, yeah. I th- I thought both those guys just looked exceptionally fast mm-hmm. against Miami, and I don't know. As I said in, in my article, I just love seeing Blumrick run down the field with his flowing locks behind him. So you, I you say that entirely that. too much. Dude, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I got a man crush. You know what can I say? I got a man crush on Josh Fuga on defense. You know who, and Connor you, Blumrick you, on offense. You know who he looks like is Aaron Rodgers. He, he looks does? like a yeah, with the new, with the new hair. Rogers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The new hair. Is Aaron Rodgers growing his hair out? It's oh, yeah. disgusting. He, look, he looks ridiculous. But, I th- I yeah. think like Connor Blumrick is a human horse with that mane. That's what it is. All right, I'll let that go. (laughs) On on that note, let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with as bad as this uh, UVA defense is, could this be the game where where we see a complete performance from the Virginia Tech offense? If it was going to be any game, it would be this game or the Duke game. Well, we did see it against the Duke. And Duke is horrid. Um, Their defense is is awful. UVA's defense is awful. Um, I mean, Virginia Tech's going to have a chance to to score points in this game. Uh, If they don't, I'll be disappointed. It's it's, going to come down to... How many times the Virginia Tech defense can stop the UVA offense, I think. But I don't think Tech shouldn't have any trouble putting up points because nobody else has. Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't know there's really anything I can add to that. Yeah. The Virginia Tech offense is dealing with some injuries as well. I would ask, how much more confident would you be if we had a fully healthy Braxton Burmeister, Brock Hoffman, Lasia Smith, and Trey Turner, who was pulled from the game yeah. in the second half for precautionary reasons after he drove hours to get to Miami, yes. which I thought was really weird. Certainly more confident, you know. I don't even know like what Braxton Burmeister, Burmeister actually looks like as a quarterback because he hasn't never been healthy. Yep, never been. <laughs> First healthy. half of the North Carolina. First game. half of the North Carolina game, yeah. I guess. Yeah, um, I, I would. Uh, you know, you would think uh, maybe Hoffman will be back this week. Um, but it, look, it's not like Tech's offensive line is playing poorly without Hoffman. They're blocking people. You know, they blocked Miami. They blocked Duke. Um, 
better than block Boston College, but no, Boston they, Boston College knew Tech had no threat of throwing the football, so right. they just easily you know they concentrated on the run. Uh, actually, they they did block Boston College. Tech had a good rushing game that game. They just couldn't pass it. You know um, me; I don't remember things once they're two weeks old. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't. I, to me, like yes, I would like to have the option of, of having Brock Hoffman, but like. Tech's played well enough with Johnny Jordan playing center that I don't think it's a big issue either way. Uh, yeah, it's not like I've watched the team and thought, oh, man, the offensive right. line's really – Yeah, they're, they're fine. Um, you'd like to have 100% Trey, but honestly right now, like the last – I would say the Georgia Tech game, he was really good, and he got hurt in that game. Uh, I thought playing hurt against Miami, that was like his second best game of the season. Yeah, and obviously with Caleb Smith had a really good catch, Lofton had a really good catch, mm-hmm. Jalen Jones. So I, I'm you... happy to see those freshman receivers get involved a little yeah. bit. And uh, we'll talk about them for a second here. Like Fuente sat in that chair before the season and called them studs, and now they've combined to catch like five passes <laughs> th- this year. Four by Lofton. Yeah, and uh, so, but you can see what he's talking about. Like the catches they made, each of them made a catch in that game was that was very difficult. Yeah. The Lofton catch was the fourth and six for 28 yards. And there were two or three Miami defenders there. So he had, he had a lot of moving parts around him, and he had to go down and make sure he didn't trap it. That's very impressive ball skills. And then Jalen Jones goes up and catches one, and they're like, Burmeister had to throw it high because there was a linebacker there and, and jumping. Yeah. So he had to trust that Jones would go up and make the catch. And Jones did it while he was getting hit hard, and his right. helmet came off. Again, good, really good ball skills and concentration. So I believe in those guys, and, and you know, hopefully – Hopefully they can continue that progress into this week. So to fill in a blank, the Hokies had uh, 174 yards rushing against Boston College, mm-hmm. 4.8 yards a carry. Which is good considering yeah. they had no threat to throw the ball at all in that game. And that, I'd forgotten about this. That was the game Tech only had 51 offensive plays, which right. is just an right. insanely low number yeah. of plays. All right. Well, before we do game picks, want to transition from the gridiron to the hardwood really quick. We do play Memphis tonight in basketball, at 9.30 p.m. tip at the Barclays Center. I know you guys touched on it briefly in the last podcast, but something that happened within the past 48 hours from that last podcast was Virginia Tech not being in the rankings for a sixth straight week, fifth straight week, even though they were 26 <laughs> last yeah. week with the 27th this week after a 20-point win against Merrimack. I did not have a chance to, to look at the rankings and figure out what that was about because Tech was ranked 26. Some of it's who you play. Like the, I think the teams that leapfrog Tech beat a ranked team Probably, last week. Yeah, that, that has yeah. to be the explanation because, I mean, Tech did what they were supposed to. They blew out teams that they were supposed Correct. to blow out, so you would think they would just fill in the vacuum. So somebody yeah. behind them. Uh, you know, it's nice to be ranked in the top 25, but let's compare top 25 basketball to top 25 football. There, there's 130 football teams. So being ranked in the top 25. You're top 20%. Exactly. There's like 350 or 360 basketball teams. So you're like top 6 or 7%. Yeah, top 6%. Right. Right. So it's being ranked in basketball is a bigger deal. It's harder to do. So uh, no big deal at this point. Like uh, Virginia Tech will be ranked at some point this season, hopefully at the end of it. Hopefully if they win this game. Yeah, Yeah, it's just nice to see the crawl along the bottom line. It's hard to say because if they beat Memphis, then what happens in the next game? They'll probably play Xavier. Yeah. Who is also ranked, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Xavier leapfrogged Tech into the rankings because they beat Ohio State. Because they beat Ohio State. So there you go. That's that's what happened. Um, Yeah. And doesn't Tech – does Tech play at home Saturday or Sunday? 
No. Um, Next no, that, game that, is that, at Maryland, another ranked team. All right. So right. that's it. It's these two games and then the Maryland. So the, the, you're, the you're, you're possibly looking at three straight games yeah. against Ryan. They lost to. Uh, yeah, Maryland lost to. Or they, that's right. They did. James, Ma- James Mason. George Mason. George Mason. Right. And so then they fell out. Yep. Yeah. Is that the ACC Big Ten Challenge? That's, yes. That's, mm-hmm. Yes. That's, okay. the, that's the next game. And then they'll play St. Bonaventure on December 17th. That's a ranked team. Yep. yep. Spectrum Center. Yep. But I, th- I think they were down by 16 against Clemson and came back and won. Yeah, wow. they're really, really good. They start the five seniors. Yep, I, I just think the <clears throat> the matchup with Memphis is really intriguing. And so some people were talking about it on the boards this morning, and I said, you know, I could see one of two things happening. Tech comes out and is surprised by their athleticism and aggressiveness because they just haven't seen it. Um, and they fall behind 10, 15 points early while they adjust to the pace of play. Alternatively, Memphis comes out and they maybe they – I don't I haven't analyzed their schedule. Maybe they haven't played a team that controls the ball like Tech or moves the ball like Tech, and they turn it over a little bit themselves. Tech gets open shots, and Tech goes up by 10 to 12 well, Memphis turns it a lot over a lot. Yes. 26 but, times. In 26 times, but they do play a high high possession totals. Yeah. So their turnover percentage isn't quite as bad as, as, as their overall turnovers seem like. Uh, it's the most interesting part of this game is it's a contrast in styles. Memphis wants as many possessions as possible. They want the score to be in the 80s or 90s. Uh, Mike Young wants to play 60s, 60s, and a fewer amount of possessions. Yeah. So, whichever team can control the pace of play, I think will have the advantage. So there, there's a tendency to say you you'll learn. Can Virginia Tech exert their will on teams like this? It's just the the sixth game of a 30 plus game season. Every game's you know? a different matchup. Even if they're not successful in controlling the tempo against Memphis, that doesn't mean they won't be able to do it later against teams that like to do similar things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Will, you alluded to this on Twitter. A lot of people calling this like the Landers Nolly matchup, but really he only played with three of the players on this current team. Turns out Aluma was also red shirting. People people pointed so out he, to he me. He played with Aline, Couture, and Ojiako. Ojiako, that's right. Yeah. And. Uh, and Aluma was rich. Landers Nolly, who is now coming off the bench for Memphis. That's how yeah. deep they are. Still, Still averaging yeah. eight points Still a game. Still averaging eight points. It's really hard to start for Memphis. they got a lot of good players. Yeah, so there's going to be a lot of guys on Tech's bench going, I don't know who that dude is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 9.30 p.m. tip against Memphis tonight at the Barclays Center. It'll be a really big matchup for the Hokies as they start this stretch. In- ESPN, too. Yes. So you can watch it. (laughs) Amazing. Um, As we transition into game picks, it looks like the whole TSL crew thinks that Virginia Tech is going to give the cut back to Virginia. Yes, unfortunately. I forget the score I picked. Um, 38 to 31. Yeah, so you were within seven points. I I, will call it a blowout. Yeah, I did. What the? 42 24 from you. Yikes. And David said 41 31. So I said 42 to 24. Yes. That was. my thinking when I picked that was uh, Tech will hang close for a while and then we'll give up a score too late to make the final margin seem worse than it really is. Last year I didn't see a path, didn't see a great path to victory for Virginia Tech, yeah. and Tech blew them out. Um, I actually can see a path to victory this year because of how bad UVA's defense is. Yep. And that's, I mean, that is a horrible, horrible, horrible <laughs> defense. I can't it stress that It is horrible, this enough. defense. <laughs> it really is. Um you know, Virginia Tech lost three games, three or four games that, that went down to the wire, that were decided in the last couple of minutes. And uh, UVA, on the other hand, their close games, they won because the other team missed field goals. I mean, if 
if you know we talk about random events and luck and like like what if those opposing field goal kickers had made those two field goals and Virginia Tech had completed a pass in the red zone against West Virginia to end the game and then now Tech is six and five and, and Virginia is four and seven. seven. Right. I mean you're so you're really talking about that's three plays. Yeah. Right? Um so it's it's an extremely even matchup in my opinion. It's to me it's more about how Virginia Tech responds mentally because they're under a lot of uh pressure right now because of the, the you know the future of the program and who the head coach and who their assistant coaches are going to be and all that that's the biggest thing to me like uh you know if that was if that situation was more stabilized and i knew where they were from a mental aspect going into this game i might actually pick tech but uh I, there's enough uncertainty there that it just seems like uva is a smart pick so let's relive last year a little bit after the game after the game was when Fuente was drinking a beer, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, his, his, his post-game, post-game radio interview with the Laser was awesome. And uh, Laser even put up a, a picture of it. And, you know, I'm listening to the interview, and I'm like, man, this guy sounds like he's drinking. And then there's a, <laughs> and there, there's a picture of him uh, doing the interview afterwards. And, and sure enough, there's a red Solo cup right next to him. Yeah. Yeah. So and he, he was in the football meeting room, I think, in the Marriott Yeah, that's Center, where they right? were doing he had, I think he had his family yeah, there. It was one him. of the best Fuente interviews you could ever hear, man. Uh, and, and there was a theory at the time that he thought he was going to get fired. And that's why he was so relaxed. He'd won his last game. Oh, he, he was cussing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was great. That's <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. He was loose. See, that's just the Fuente fun. we know and love, not, not the guy who stands up there the weekly press I believe his direct quote on that interview was, we kicked the transfer portal's ass this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Should have been – I wish there could have been more of that. Yeah. Well, the fans also picked UVA, and they picked them to win by 11-plus. So it's wow. really going to be interesting. Hang on. Let me look that up and see what the numbers are right at this moment. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Go ahead. No, you're totally fine. It'll be interesting, 3.45 p.m. on the ACC Network this Saturday against UVA. Before we get into the YouTube chat, though, I do have a fun question for you all myself. In the spirit of Thanksgiving, I wanted to ask what you all's favorite Thanksgiving dish is. I like, uh, oh, goodness. <laughs> I mean, can I throw out turkey? No. Uh, no. Well, nobody yeah. likes turkey. I like turkey. Ham. Really? Hey, uh, dark I like meat turkey only. and ham. I always get Dark both. meat only. Okay. Um, yeah. I, like, I like stuffing. Yeah. I love stuffing. There you go. You know, like my wife makes really good stuff. Right. And I'm going to assume that there's going to be deviled and deviled eggs involved. So I'll hmm. throw deviled eggs in there too. Okay. Where are you eating Thanksgiving dinner? Uh, in Fairlawn. Okay. The so big, you, the, you know, the big suburb of Radford. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually Pulaski right there. Pulaski County. <laughs> All right. So to get into the, uh, yes, the fan voting in our preview, it's uh, 548 votes. And these things usually level out around 1,100 or 1,200 votes. And um, 57% vote Cavaliers by 11 plus, another 26% Hokies by 1 to 10. So it's pretty strongly skewed, almost 60% thinking, thinking UVA is going to kind of run away with it. Um, so before we move on, one, th- one thing I do want to get into, and give me a second to look this up. Chris put up to talk about the coaching search a little bit. Chris uh, wrote a cu- couple of lengthy articles this week, and he broke down eight head coaches who could be candidates for Virginia Tech's head coaching job. Eight coaches with head coaching experience. Yes, not necessarily sitting head coaches. Right, and six coaches with no head coaching experience. Yeah. Um, and then he wrote a follow-up with six assistants. who, yes, if, if with no head were, coaching experience, yeah. So now, today, we started this morning a poll. Um, 
asking our subscribers, it's not wide open to everybody, but it's asking our subscribers um, to pick their top three candidates. And as of this moment, there's been 940 votes. And here are the top three. Charles Huff is the runaway. And again, you can pick three out of this list of 14 guys. 14. 14. Charles Huff. So Chris is looking out on the monitor over Which there. Which I can't see. Charles Huff is monitor. running at 20% of people have picked Huff. 14% Tom Herman. And 12%, very, very close for Billy Napier and Matt Campbell. They're both at 12%. They're basically in a tie for third. Right. So Huff, Herman, Napier, and Campbell. Right. And if you're wondering where Dave Clawson winds up, he winds up in fifth with 9%. And then he gets in under Marcus Freeman, Bill O'Brien, et cetera, right. et cetera. And the fact that Charles Huff is leading at 20%, 20% shows you how split it is. Which means one out of every five people... Had him names their, him as one of those other three, one of their top three candidates. Yeah, exactly. Um, and let's let's re- to refresh everybody's memory. The poll we ran in 2015 when Frank Beamer retired. Number one on the list was Tom Herman, who went on to be fired at Texas. Number two on the list was Bud Foster, retired. Number three, Mark Richt, retired. Number four, Justin Fuente, just got fired. Number five, Chad Morris, got fired at Arkansas. Number six, Larry Fedora, got fired at UNC. Rich Rodriguez was number seven. He got fired at Arizona. So the top seven vote-getters in our 2015 poll either retired or got fired. Uh, Kirby Smart, the Georgia head coach, <laughs> was number eight. <laughs> right. Matt Rule was was like 11th on the list. He's an NFL head coach. Matt Campbell was next to last, and he's a three-time Big 12 coach of the year in, in, in <laughs> you know at Iowa State. So – the last time Virginia Tech fans voted on who they wanted to be the next coach, <laughs> they did a horrible job. <laughs> and the guys they didn't want went on to become good coaches, or some of them did at least. So it, what my, my point here is, like, it's really, really hard to identify who the right guy so, is. So Charles Huff is sitting sitting there today, and he suddenly, like, feels a chill go through. Oh, it's like, like, like oh, that? my God, Virginia Tech fans <laughs> have just jinxed my future coaching career. Uh, I, well, one thing I found amusing was in the 2015 poll, the leading vote getter was Tom Herman, Houston head coach. Mm-hmm. And in today's poll, the number two vote getter is Tom Herman, former Houston and Texas, Texas head, head coach. coach. Right. He's the Chicago Bears offensive analyst right now. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what he's doing. It's good stuff. It, it's interesting. Uh, it's hard to say what's going to happen with Charles Hoff. Herman is what he is at this point. Hard to say what's going to happen with Napier. Right. Uh, Matt Campbell's clearly a good coach. Uh, and I'm, a great coach. I'm going down the right. list for this year. Um, Dave Clawson, already a successful coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Dave Clawson's going to get fired or retire in the next <laughs> no. three or four years. And then it's a bunch of guys, who knows, Marcus Freeman, Bill O'Brien, Jamie Chadwell. Yeah, Dan Mullen's got a, got a track record, but interesting stuff. Well, I, I guess the point I'm making is the current leading vote getters, I don't think they're going to get – decimated uh, with pr- the probably not we'll see fired um, retired I, no i will say this that it's even for me I, i'll tell you who i voted for i voted for uh clausen campbell and huff and but even with that like i made this mistake when virginia tech hired mike young i judged the mike young hire before i got all the information like i didn't know how he was going to fill out his coaching staff and his support staff i'm not going to make that mistake this time i'm not going to judge this hire until i know mm-hmm his entire coaching staff, who he's hired for all his coordinator positions, strength and conditioning, position coach. I'm going to let all the evidence come in before I judge. But that also means, like, it makes it more difficult for me personally to vote because, like, Dave Clawson was one of my top three, 
but that's under the assumption that he would change defensive coordinators. If he didn't, if he brought his current defensive staff here, I'd be less inclined to go for Dave Clawson. Um, Billy Napier is a guy who did not make my top three because I have serious questions about his offense, his and offense, he controls right. his offense and calls the plays. Now, he would he might move up my list, though, if I knew he had had a conversation about Witt saying, you know what, now that I'll have more money, I'm going to hire an offensive coordinator to run the offense and, and, and let him call the plays, and I'm just going to focus on head coach and stuff. Uh, so even it's all incomplete information, um, which makes it difficult to, to vote. Yeah, and, and for me, <clears throat> in full disclosure, my three, three guys were Charles Huff, Tom Herman, and Matt Campbell. And, and for me, the Campbell and Herman hires would, you know, uh, I, I really liked Herman back in 2015. I think he was my top choice back then because mm-hmm. I read some articles about him and the, the energy he brought to the Houston program. I was really impressed with him. And none of that's really changed. The fact that he didn't succeed at Texas doesn't change that for me. But if he He's gets more hired, successful than their other previous, their other recent coaches. Yeah. But, but if he gets hired here, you're right. It's all about the assistance. What sort of recruiting staff is he going to build? Right. And, and that's very important for Matt Campbell and Tom Herman, who don't have a lot of uh, experience in this area. Now Campbell does. He's not this area. Campbell has coached in an area that that I would like to see Virginia Tech mine for more players, and that's kind of the Ohio area. I know there's a lot of competition for players up there. But there's also a lot of good football players up there. So I'd be intrigued by that if he well, still had the capability to, to recruit there. The reason I didn't vote for Herman is because I didn't think his teams were all that physical at Texas. And he just seems so X's and O's focused, mm-hmm. like somebody else we know, right? And right. Uh, Campbell has – Campbell, you could probably – Iowa State's probably overall the most physical team in terms of their talent level during his tenure at Iowa State and he had when he I read an article about him last night when when he was hired there he was willing to uh, one of the things he did that has made Iowa State successful is he his young players back when he first started there he sat them down on the bench and they redshirted and they got older and bigger and stronger and he went three and nine oh, the yeah. first year and maybe even the second year. Nah, not the second, second year, year second year he was second year he was big 12 coach of the year yeah so so they went three and nine in his first year, and he was willing to take that hit sure. for the long-term interest. Of the and program. I'm willing to take that hit. I know. I don't, I don't want any half measures, man. Just, yeah. I mean, I, it's a good possibility. I mean, we're going to lose a lot of players to attrition in the portal this year. We were going to whether Justin Fuente stayed or not. I mean, you're going to have to get back down to the 85 limit. And I don't think Virginia Tech ran a discipline program, a program of accountability, any of that. Any other, I think any coach Virginia Tech hires is going to bring more discipline and more accountability. And these guys that aren't used to it, they might not like it. So once they get – you're going to see portal guys in December and January. You're, you're going to see, see portal them. guys in the summer too after they get a spring under the new coach and they're like, wow, this guy's a lot tougher on me than Fuente was. Right. So this might be this might be a process, which is – and that's fine. That's fine. Like you don't want any players who aren't bought in to what the new coach wants to do to stay in the program. Right. Um, and, and if that if we have to be bad for a year to make our infrastructure strong, then that's good for the long term. Yep. Well, as we round out the coaching discussion, it seems like a good time to send it on over to Nick in the fourth chair to get to some of the YouTube questions. Yeah. One of the biggest questions was actually by our main man and homie, Mr. Scott Glessner. <laughs> when Virginia Tech wins, how... He said when, by the way. When Virginia Tech wins this weekend, how would the new coach or 
J.C. Price handle the bowl game? Uh, the new coach wouldn't coach the bowl game because there's not enough time to bring in an entire staff, install a new offense and defense and all that. That new coach would spend his December focused on recruiting and, and, and things like that and keeping this class together and adding to it and, and all that stuff. Uh, it would be interesting because, you know, obviously th- th- I've heard there's major interest in Vance Vice. So, like, if Tech goes to a bowl game, I, I would not be shocked if Vance Vice was somewhere else by then, which means you've got a quality control coach or, or a grad assistant coaching the offensive line. And, and you know, by, by that point, the new coach will have made his decisions on which assistants he's going to retain and which – in which he aren't, he's not going to retain. So those guys, they're going to be out looking for jobs, and some of them are already going to have job offers, So and maybe they've already left. So, again, you've got a grad assistant coming up, taking over and coach, coaching in another position. So you, you, you might go into that ball, ball game with, like, a half roster of coaches, quite possibly, which is no big deal because, I mean, whether you it's kind of irre- irrelevant. I mean, I want to win the ball game, but it's not like – it's not like it has any bearing on the long-term future of the program or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And and the other thing about – so your your last game is November 27th, and then your bowl game is maybe four weeks later. So you got a bunch of assistant coaches who are looking for jobs. But they have a whole month in which to do that. And really preparation for the game only takes a week. So it's not as if they're trying to cram in getting a new job and preparing for a game all in the same week. There's enough time to do both of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the other thing to remember is that, is that a lot of these assistants, sure, a guy might skate and go somewhere else, the, a guy like Vance Weiss, but a lot of these assistants are, they're attached to the players. They have a relationship with the players, and they want to do right by them, and they, and they want to see them do well. Um, so it's not like they're looking for their next job and then they're gone. They're also kind of being pulled to stay here a little bit. And I don't pretend to understand all of those dynamics and where everybody's going to fall on that side of the fence, but it's, it's just stuff to think about in the end. You're right. They could wind up with half a coaching staff and, and it's really the new guy's responsibility to focus on recruiting and building his next staff. So I haven't, there's not many other questions here, but I had a question myself. What was your favorite UVA memory or story? So this could be either a joke story, game moment, anything. You got one, or I mean, I've already got mine. Well, if you got ninety-five, go. Well, I've got ninety-five. Uh, um, <laughs> the game was one thing, but the tickets that I got. So that game was in Charlottesville. Uh, it was a great for those who, for some reason, aren't familiar with that game. Maybe because you're too young. Uh, first of all, that was the the pinnacle of Virginia Tech and Virginia football. There were a lot of good players. 95 and 96. Oh, just Cumulative talent level. A ton of talent field. on the yeah. field. And uh, UVA got up early, and I think at one point they were leading 28. Uh, uh, 29 to 14. 29 to 14. Tech comes back and wins 36 to 29. Great game. But what one of the things I remember about that game is a, a friend of mine, I was living in Charlottesville. Uh, no, I had moved away by then. But a friend of mine, uh, I lived in Charlottesville from 87 through 94, and a buddy of mine had to work that day, so he let me have his UVA season tickets. And he said, now watch, one of the steps down at the end of the row is uneven, and people will trip over that step all game long. <laughs> so my, my girlfriend, who is now my wife, um, she wasn't even my fiance at the time, she was my girlfriend, she and I sat there and 
had a ball watching the football game and watching people trip up those stairs <laughs> all game long. So I hope they eventually, uh, they redid their stadium in 2000. I guess they eventually fixed that, but that's what I remember. Uh, so, I mean, obviously I remember that moment. Um, 2005 was awesome. Yeah. Um, because Virginia Tech went up there and just beat them 52-14, to 14, and it wasn't that close. Like, Virginia Tech, by the end of the game, had their third stringers in the game. Drove all the way down to, like, the 10-yard line and just ended the game taking a knee. I mean, their third stringers were about to score a touchdown. In a 52-14 so to 14 win. What I remember about that game is, like, Cedric Humes going up the sideline, and there's this UVA safety coming in at an angle to push him out of bounds. And most running backs in that situation, they, uh, they just they go out of bounds, or they, they keep going straight. Maybe try to outrun him. Humes actually turned towards the safety and ran towards him. Like he was challenging <laughs> him to, to, you know, a one-on-one hitting contest and then ran over him. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, that's like, to me, that was the epitome of Tech versus UVA at the time. Tech was just a tougher football team that sought out the physicality yeah. and things like that. And uh, so that was a good time. Uh, the other one I, 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 it was 2014 when Michael Brewer, his throwing shoulder popped out of socket and they popped it back in on the sideline, and then he comes back into the game and throws the deep ball to Bucky Hodges. Was that the super cold game? That was yeah. really cold, right? Yeah. That was pretty Both cold. teams came out of the locker rooms and were jawing at each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, almost a It's fight. always fun when they do that. I hope they do that again Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> generally when that happens, Tech, tech wins. Well, generally Tech wins anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh. All right, is that everything from the YouTube chat? Yeah, and do you guys have any picks for tonight's game, Memphis Tech? No. I have no clue what's going to happen. So, I mean, it's ba- it's a lot harder to call basketball games than football games because, you know, football game. I mean, basketball games it could just determine like be determined by, let's say both teams get a bunch of open three point shots and one team has a good shooting night and the other team doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know what will happen? Sometimes it's it's just as simple as that. So it makes it a lot harder to to call basketball games. Um, I mean, I don't think I'm confident Tech's not going to go up to there and go zero and two over these next two games. Um, ideally, it would be really, really nice to win this game and then get an opportunity to play Xavier on Friday. I mean, you would have a chance to pick up two Quadrant 1 wins. Think about it. Tech only had three Quadrant 1 wins all of last season. So to, so to have two by the day after Thanksgiving, would uh, that, things would bode well for Selection Sunday, I'll put it that way. Yeah, I don't I don't have any predictions. Uh, it... it Gets my old Metro Conference blood going, you know, from way, way back in the day. And uh, I'm, I'm just really interested, but I have no idea what's going to happen. By the way, Virginia Tech, all-time versus Memphis, 12-18. and 18. Ooh. Yeah. Man, they had some great games back in the days. Uh, most people think that Virginia Tech has beaten Memphis twice when they were number one. It was just once. Uh, they beat them once when, when Memphis State was number one. And they beat them another time when uh, – it was a Monday, and North Carolina was number one in the country, and Memphis State was number two. And over the weekend, Virginia had beaten North Carolina to knock them out of their slot. And so it's Monday night, and we're used to the AP poll appearing on the internet on Monday mm-hmm. morning. Yeah. Um, I guess the votes had been taken, so you knew Memphis was going to be number one, but they were technically number two. It wasn't going to be released until the next day. Yeah, yeah. And so when Tech beat that Memphis State team, they were technically number two. Okay. All right, thank you, Nick. Chris Coleman, anything else coming up on TechSideline.com this week? No, we're taking Thursday <laughs> and Friday off. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll probably do a Q&A. We'll see. Yeah, okay.
<laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for episode 211 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We dove into the Commonwealth clash between Virginia and Virginia Tech coming up on Saturday, a 3.45 p.m. kick on the ACC network. I want to thank everybody on set today, Will Stewart, founder and general manager of TechSideline.com. You can find him at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline. He is at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. Nick Brown in the fourth chair is at Nick Brown 33 on Twitter. Did a great job with his segment and the questions. As always, Malcolm Stewart doing a great job behind the scenes. I'm Katie Adams signing off on episode 211 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Enjoy the game, Hokies fans. We'll catch you next week.